0: Hello and welcome to the 190th episode of the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. I can't believe we're at episode number 190. Stunning. 10 away from an even 200. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News in lovely Denver, Colorado, Jason Luber. If you want to be on the show, then you can either uh, find me in my basement, uh, or you could do it easier way by giving me a call on the hotline, the listener hotline. The number is 303-832-0217, and that's the best way to get a hold of the program, 303-832-0217. You can go ahead and give that call, or you can send us an email, podcast at gmail.com. Those numbers and those uh, those links, all that stuff is at the description of the show today on the show. I'm going to be talking to someone who is very, very smart, a high-minded show for us today, as I'm going to have Michael Moe. He's an electric engineer, and he has this company called Cooler Technology, and he's working with NASA on how to keep their batteries on the Mars rover cool and from exploding and causing fires. (laughs) That's a bad, that would be a bad thing to have a Mars rover catching fire. Uh, It might be spectacular pictures, but it wouldn't be good for the Mars rover. That same kind of technology that uh, Cooler Technologies is working on has applications for us here on Earth as we see more and more electric cars are going to be coming to market. We've heard of all the problems with Teslas catching on fire. That's bad. Uh, We've heard about your phones and and other um, electronic devices catching on fire, hoverboards catching on fire, and that's bad. Uh, so we'll talk to Michael about all of the issues with batteries and how to keep them cool and how to keep keep them from uh, bursting into flame. Uh, and because because really batteries are powering just about everything now. So we'll have a, a nice conversation with Michael all about that. Um, first, I wanted to talk about this. It was I think it was in the last episode. I talked about the problem, how uh, you hear in news stories. It sounds like a vehicle is doing something that should be attributed to a person operating the vehicle. I found a perfect example of that from CNN. Here's, here's the headline. Over 900 cars paid for each other's meals at a Dairy Queen drive through in Minnesota. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. It's actually a lovely story where someone started a pay-it-forward chain that lasted for a long long time and the first story of the the first line of the story reads like this what started as a random act of kindness from one man paying for the car behind him in a dairy a dairy queen drive through resulted in over 900 cars also taking part in the pay it forward chain <laughs> the cars. what the cars were enjoying the coffee the cars didn't pay for anything they can't pay for it they don't have credit cards they don't have money it's a car the only thing the car did is transport a customer buying the coffee, a person buying the coffee to the Starbucks. And then the next person paid for the coffee for the driver or the customer behind them in another car, The not paying for the car. It's just, it, 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 it continued throughout the story. There's another line in the story that that continues the problem writing, saying, this time the chain continued for two and a half days with over 900 cars participating, raking in $10,000 in sales. The cars didn't participate. The people who drove the cars to the Starbucks participated. The cars didn't do anything except transport people from one place to another anyway that, that that's just my own personal pet peeve and speaking of self-driving cars and self-aware cars did you see that uber has given up its self-driving car division selling it to Aurora innovation but as part of this sale uber is taking a stake in that new startup and I think it's really um, an indication of uber pulling back and and, and looking at the vision of itself, uh, self-driving fleet of cars and saying it's probably not going to happen as soon as we we hope and they and, and uber is also getting crushed revenue wise in 2020 because there are fewer people in cities fewer people using ubers driving obviously you don't need an uber to drive to a bar that isn't open or a restaurant that isn't open or go on a date where to, to a to a movie theater that isn't open right now so uber is just getting crushed on the revenue side and I think that's part of it as well. So in exchange for investing $400 million in this Aurora company, Uber is going to get a 26% ownership stake in the company. And as part of this deal, Uber is guaranteed that when Aurora releases the self-driving vehicles that they'll be working on, they'll be launched on a network controlled by Uber, which they eventually wanted to see anyway. So Uber wins, it's a win-win for them. And, And I wouldn't call this a really a, a huge setback. It's just really a realization that self-driving cars are farther away than any of the advocates initially hoped for. I still think it's going to be years and years away. I mean, I don't know when exactly, but, but I it, I don't think it's going to be within the next five years. We will still see some of the autonomous technology be introduced into cars, the uh, the technology that keeps your car from drifting from lane to lane. And um, you know, there, there's... Other self-driving aspects, uh, it comes even all the way down to uh, the automatic uh, lights on your car, turning your headlights on and off. I mean, that's technically autonomous technology. Uh, but we'll see more of that that helps you out as you drive the vehicle, but the vehicle's not going to be driving yourself. E- even as as much as Elon Musk wants to get your Teslas driving themselves everywhere, uh, they're not ready to really do that right now. So, Anyway, one of the emerging technologies that is still full steam ahead is electric cars. Because in this world of electric-powered everything, from our gadgets to our cars, they're all powered by electricity, and they're only as good as the batteries that are in them. And we've heard the stories of lithium-ion batteries exploding or catching on fire. It's one thing to have your hoverboard catch on fire, but it's another thing entirely to have the Mars rover catch on fire. There's a company called Cooler Technology. It's spelled K-U-L-R. And they've come up with a solution to prevent overheating that can lead to these sort of fires in batteries. Joining me now to talk more about this and how this technology will help increase the number of electric vehicles we see in our roads, is Michael Mose. He's the CEO and co-founder of Cooler Technology. Michael, thanks for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: So before we get into the specifics about cooling technology, tell us why you decided you needed to fix batteries. You're an electrical engineer, so was there a, a specific spark? Was there an incident that made you think, I have to do something about this problem?
1: Well, um, well, we started, uh, the company's technology came from about a 30 year history in working with NASA, uh, DOD, uh, the Air, Air Force, developing technology to keep um, space applications uh, cool, the electronics on the space application, uh, a- application cool. So w- w- my team has been doing that for 30 years. Our customer include NASA, JPL, Uh, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, and so forth, and our products on the International Space Station, on the Mars Mars rover, like you said, to keep them cool. Um, We actually started working with NASA Johnson Space Center since 2015 when they came to us about this battery thermal runaway explosion problem. So um, I guess that's a spark, uh, literally (laughs) and figuratively, Um, coming coming from uh, Johnson Space Center, uh, uh, based on their needs to redesign the uh, astronaut's uh, uh, spacesuit the battery inside.
0: But it really wasn't just you thinking as as a electrical engineer cuz because that that takes some pretty good brain power I'm sure you're thinking, you know what? I I've, I've seen these these batteries on fire and and there has to be a better way to either cool them or keep them from catching on fire because that can be catastrophic, especially if you have a laptop that catches fire on an airplane.
1: Right. Um actually the battery fire problem is is uh, fairly new, right? So you had the infamous issue with the Samsung Galaxy seven nodes. I think that was 2017-ish. Then you got the uh, Boeing 787 had that battery problem that delayed the uh, issue. Um, And then you have the recent hoverboard and the EV. So these are actually fairly new problems. Um, So we're developing new applications based on our uh, core carbon fiber technology to apply to these problems. So like you said, as engineer, we uh, solve problems. So my team, they solve problems. So we find a new problem, here's a new problem, a new market, then we apply uh, old um, or proven technology uh, and the physics to solve these new problems.
0: Why is it a better solution to keep the current battery technology as it is now from overheating rather than looking at new battery design or new battery technology?
1: Yeah, well, uh, new battery technology is um, coming, but it takes time, right? So the battery, the advancement of battery technology, um, is a lot slower than the semiconductor industry where I uh, came from. Um, semiconductor industry, like Moore's Law, the speed would double every uh, eighteen months, whereas I think historically the battery technology has improved somewhere between three to five percent every year. So, it's a lot slower progress in a battery. But recent years in the EV and so forth, companies invest a lot more money like Tesla, uh, now Volkswagen, and GM invest billions and billions of dollars now into the new battery architecture. And that architecture is going to take some time, probably around 2025 to 2030, is where the new architecture will come in being deployed into these EVs. So, until then, we still have to live with the old architecture and solving the older problems.
0: So are you basically saying that your company is going to be looking to do different things then in five or six years when these new battery technologies come out? Or are they going to, you think they're going to have maybe the same sort of set of issues?
1: So um, the technology will constantly evolve, right? So when new batteries come in they may reduce the risk of fire or explosion, but they will have other issues. They will have high performance issues and you still need to take the heat away. So you're looking at between now and 2030, you look at new batteries coming line, new products come line. And then after that, you're going to look at a second life application, such as repurposing the battery into energy storage products and also recycling application. So um, when you look at some of the studies about how green is EV, you got to take consideration how recycling factor into the life cycle of the EV to make it more green, more sustainable than combustion engine. So um, recycling becomes a very, very important part of that. And when you think about that market, that's going to last way longer than the current architecture into 10, 15 years. And then we're actively looking at our technology, how that applies to uh, both the battery application and also the recycling application of batteries.
0: And let's stay with this topic for a second. I'm speaking with Michael Mo. Mm-hmm. He's the CEO and the co-founder of Cooler Technologies, spelled K-U-L-R. How'd you come up with that name?
1: <laughs> well, it's uh, it was uh, a few few years back when we were looking at names. Um, I, I, you know, I live in California. I live in the northern uh, California, the Bay Area. Um, back then, you know, every, everybody trying to find a cool name, no right. pun intended. <laughs> um, so we're doing thermal management. Our mission is to uh, take space technology to make batteries, electronics cooler, lighter, and safer. So I thought, well, maybe we choose a name that's cooler and we play with, you know, vowels and, you know, try to <laughs> and uh, come with a four-letter word and KULR was available. Um, and, um, we came up with the name and kind of stuck with us ever since. And I think, I think people tend to resonate uh, with with that.
0: Yeah, I think, I think so too. Where is this battery technology going in the future? Because lithium ion isn't the end solution right now with new technologies. There is uh, what carbon electrodes and cobalt free batteries. There are really interesting battery technologies coming up that, that will help propel, I think, Uh, electric cars, electric rovers, uh, maybe even electric planes in the future.
1: Yes, there is uh, solid state batteries. There is the the new chemistry that you just talked about. Everybody's trying to increase uh, capacity, increase density, and increase life cycle and increase performance. So what happens is that when you're going through that, you know, transition path or going down the development path, you're going to see higher energy battery cells, more energy packed in a smaller form factor. So what happens when that, you know, uh, the, the phenomenon, when, when that happens is that if something goes wrong in a internal short circuit or a collision, a external intrusion into the into the battery, um, when you have these explosive events, which means that there's going to be more energy released in a tighter space. So the... Thermal runaway event is actually going to be a little bit more violent. It's going to be more, um, unfortunately, a little bit more catastrophic than current architecture or what we have right now until a completely safe battery is developed maybe 5, 10, 15 years down the road
0: because we well, yeah when you when you're talking about this explosiveness of these battery technologies e- even with the lithium ion batteries that are now going into some general cars i own a chevy volt and I- i'm driving on top of a battery mm-hmm. e- as you said we're moving in a car. Let's say it's sixty-five miles an hour, and then if that gets into a collision with another car going sixty-five miles an hour, I mean that that can be quite dangerous. And it's different with a gasoline-powered car than it is with electric cars. So how are we going to deal with those issues going forward?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a tough issue. Um, I think the regulators are trying to deal with it on the safety aspect of it. Uh, we have a technology that we uh, are the exclusive commercialization partner for NASA. To test for battery safety, called ISC. So we're, you know, evangelizing that. We're commercializing that for EV and other other applications. Now, what you refer to is a, you know, high speed vehicle, uh, a high speed EV. If you go to a collision, um, something catastrophic, you know, potentially could happen. Like I think there was a report last last Tuesday. There was an EV traveled at very high speed. I think it's about 100 miles an hour. Crashed, and then you know, you literally have. Um, Uh, you know, burning battery cells, raining um, from the car into neighbors' homes, um, you know, went through the windows and so forth and lighting up uh, beddings and, you know, land up somebody's lap and set the guy on fire. So these things, unfortunately, is going to happen as technology matures, transition into that um, for the next couple of few years, uh, unfortunately, these things are going to happen.
0: Let's talk more about how EVs can power or how batteries can power EVs in the future. General Motors wants to go all electric in California. The governor there says they want to have only electric, new electric cars sold by 2035. So how are we going to get to that point with either the new technology that's coming out or the current technology? How are, how are we going to be able to... Provide that much power and and those batteries to generate enough <laughs> uh, vehicles to to get out there.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's you know there's uh, enough study and calculation out there about how much resource, natural resources, needed to mine the cobalts and nickels of the world to to kind of power that many you know gigafactories. Um, and I think that the very key part as people start to realize. Is the second life and third life, and also recycling of these, uh, you know, these uh, these batteries. Um, I, I saw a study recently that says that the EV is only greener than combustion engine if the efficient, the efficiency of the recycling is very high, and then we actually do recycle. So to make the whole EV revolution sustainable, that we need to look at the cycle, right, from the mining to building the battery to the EV end of life, recycle all the material, go back to the cycle again. So how we participate that is that we have a technology to safely uh, store and transport these batteries. So when you look at new batteries in the car, if it crashes, you have these uh, catastrophic events. And then when you have used batteries, it's even more important how to transport them safely. So we developed technology uh, with NASA that's on the International Space Station right now to safely store battery. Now we're working with uh, recyclers to deploy that space-proven technology into the world of recycling to keep it safe and keep the efficiency high.
0: Yeah, it's one thing to to do that for NASA and to do it for the space station and do it for a rover, but it's another thing to do it for John Q. Public who has a, a tow truck and he's just towing this right. car away. So how do you right. get your technology <laughs> to the people that actually will be doing the, the the legwork when you have more EV cars out there?
1: Yeah, it's working with the supply chain. You know, um, it, it, there is... a. There's a pretty robust supply chain or being established right now about battery recycling. You know, it's about working with the recyclers on, on, on actually facilitating that recycling, and also working the OEM to establish relationships so that when they do the recalls and recycling of the of the battery, we are the uh, solution provider of choice to do that. Um, and then when you get to that scale, when you work with a supply chain that way, uh, we worked hard enough to uh, make sure the technology works and also cost down on the solution. So like you said, you know, NASA can afford fairly expensive products on the International Space Station, but we're we have literally shaved multiple zeros from the cost so that we make it affordable uh for the everyday use.
0: Do you think as an electrical engineer, do you think it's possible to reach a goal in 15 years to see only ev cars on the road in california do you think that it's possible to to really make the the giant leap between combustion engines and electric vehicles
1: um i think that it's possible to have new cars on the road uh, majority or all ev in 15 years um, but I think all cars on the road would be a like a much tougher task because I think that if you look at the average car on the road in the U.S., I think it's about 11 or 13 years. That's how old a car it is. So 15 years from now, you still have new cars, which is 90 some percent combustion engine. A lot of cars still going to be on the road. So on the road, a little bit different story, but new cars. Uh, I would, I believe it's going to be 100% EV or some kind of hybrid solution to make the whole transportation more sustainable.
0: And part of the problem with people buying EV cars is the one that, that it, it's different in the way you have to think about your fueling. Right now, my wife can just drive around and, oh, she sees the tank is a little low. She stops at a station and five minutes later, she's off and she can drive another 350 miles. Uh, if Mm -hmm. for somebody with a pure EV, whether it's a, a Tesla or a, or a bolt or something like that, they have to think about it. You have to charge it up either every night or every couple of nights. You have to really think about your fueling of the vehicle. Do you think that's going to be a, a a bump that too many people are going to have a hard time getting over?
1: Um, it's a function of, um, um, it's, it's a function of how large your battery pack is and how fast you can you know, recharge it. So fast charging is the killer app, right? If you can stop by somewhere fast charge, at least 50% of it in five minutes, then it becomes less of a problem, right? You can only probably drive 200 miles at a time. Then you need to take a coffee break, use a, go use a restroom. But if that takes five minutes, you charge 50%, you can drive another 200 miles. That's great. So it's the range in the car and how fast you can charge. So fast charging is uh is the killer app. And, one of the key limited, limiting factor for fast charge is how much heat you generate so then again it's thermal management so you take the heat away you can you can charge it faster yeah
0: <clears throat> i'm speaking with michael mo he's the ceo and the co-founder of cooler technology you can uh, find them online at uh, what kulrtechnologies.com
1: absolutely yeah. cooler technology K-U-L-R technology dot com yes uh
0: w- it, do you think that this is the uh, dream to be able to get uh, all these EV cars on the road i i I still have a, a hard time believing that uh, California is not going to see a huge uh increase in uh, used vehicle sales in Arizona, in Nevada, in Oregon, where people are going to yeah. go there to go buy used cars that are regular combustion engines, and then bring them back into California. Yeah, it's, po-
1: <laughs> it's possible, right? Right. And then also the our you know electric infrastructure needs to catch up too, right? I mean, there's unfortunately there's plenty of uh, wildfires that happened in California over the last couple of years, right? So that's all caused by our aging uh, electric infrastructure so you know like you said you know doubling the ev is going to put a lot more you know ta- it's going to be a lot more taxing on the on the electric infrastructure so that that will potentially creates um a different kind of a uh, issue as well
0: potentially mm-hmm. isn't there the chance that we could see cars ha- have a battery pack that could take us a thousand miles isn't that a reality or or at least maybe a future not too distant reality
1: Um, A thousand miles, perhaps. I think 500 miles is already kind of somewhere there, right? So, do you really drive 500 miles a day? So, that's kind of a, you know, the $64,000 question. So, a thousand miles, um, you know, because I think that because of the pandemic, the the ride sharing um, uh, part of the application gets a lot less uh, coverage now, right? Um, I guess the holy grail was about ride sharing, uh, share mobility plus uh, electric mobility. So you got a lot more utilization out of the vehicle and you have sustainability in terms of the, uh, in terms of the battery. So I think eventually a sheer mobility application um, that's pure electric, uh, potentially autonomous, uh, You know, um, that would be uh, a, a more sustainable way to go. If you still have individual cars, EVs, everybody drives just one, one, one person in the car, then the sustainability is reduced.
0: Well, maybe the uh, technology really is from the Matrix, wasn't it? The premise of the Matrix movies that humans were batteries that that we were batteries for machines. That the uh, right. the Matrix was uh, taking our energy. Maybe as we sit in a car, we somehow are transferring our energy into the battery of the vehicle, and then you can keep going, maybe protect, maybe forever.
1: There, there you know there it is right so I could be Neil and you could be mr. Anderson right right yeah. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> perfect I mean you know no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just an idea <laughs> guy here Michael I'm just an idea it might be far-fetched but you know you're the you're the yeah, yeah. Uh, electrical engineer you're the guy who who knows how to do these things
1: it's an interesting thought Yeah, it's interesting thought yeah yeah <clears throat>
0: so uh, finally are, are there some other consumer applications to your technology something to keep my laptop? From catching on fire on a plane, something for for my battery on in my cell phone to keep from catching on fire while it's sitting in my pocket.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's the kind of the storage solution, right? I think we see um, a lot of um, kind of a power tools application now, right? Um, from your lawnmowers to your um, leap blowers, a lot of these outdoor equipment um, guys are moving from diesel engine to uh to you know to battery powered so that's fueling a lot of interest um, when you have a large battery pack like that somebody carries on the back the last thing you want is that to start catching fire so you don't want <laughs> right. so you don't want that yeah and also your transportation of that too right so uh, home depots of the world they don't want their uh, merchandise to catch catch fire so a lot of safety concerns about that um you got your laptops yes you got your cell phones um, the recycling aspect is really where some of the safety happens. The new phones, the new laptops, I think the safety ratings are, are you know, really good, fairly good. Um, but when you get to the end of life, when you are uh, recycling, when you are shipping a used product or maybe slightly damaged, and then the battery status is unknown, and you know, that's where our technology can really you know, come in and keep the battery safe. Um, so we see a lot of those kind of applications.
0: Well, it looks like battery uh, recycling is the industry maybe I need to get into in the future here in the next couple of years, because it sounds like that's really going to be a key component. Uh, you keep talking about battery recycling, and it sounds like that's going to be a big deal for us in the future.
1: Yes, it is about uh, completing the cycle, uh, no pun intended, uh, to keep the sustainability going.
0: Yeah. Yes. Very interesting stuff here, Michael. I really appreciate your time and your insight and your expertise in this. Michael Moe, the CEO and co-founder of Cooler Technology, thanks again for being here.
1: Thank you so much, Jason.
0: Again, you can find out more about Cooler Technology from the link in the description of this show. I drive an electric car with a generator in it. I think it's the way to go because I can keep going on gas, but I get that efficiency efficiency. And the low maintenance of an electric car, and, and truth be told, the one of the reasons I get maybe you know what might be the main reason I bought an electric car is because I was getting mad about how expensive oil changes are, and how I had to keep the car, regular gas powered car, maintained all the time, always getting services done, always getting oil changes done, always do this and that and this and that. Electric cars are way less maintenance. Uh, than a regular standard car, and so that that it, but but the the joy of the electric car I have is that it has a generator in it, so I can just keep filling it up with gas, and I don't have range anxiety like this uh, friend of mine who at uh, at Denver Seven he bought one of those Nissan Leafs and and he was driving in and sometimes he wouldn't even turn on his uh, his air conditioning because he was worried about how much energy it was sucking up because he would get to work with like 15 miles left on his charge and if he didn't charge it up at work or charge it up somewhere downtown he wouldn't make it home. I don't have that range anxiety, which is which is nice. And I don't have all the maintenance costs that a regular car has. I'm still on at I'm at like 80 something thousand miles and I'm still on the original brakes. And I've had them looked at and they said they're fine. And so it really is amazing how well some of these electric cars will uh, will save you on maintenance. It really is it, it really is a nice feature of the electric cars, but the bad feature is if you don't have a whole ton of range, you're having to power it up. You're going to have to charge it up all the time, and so that's a bit of a pain. But I don't have to worry about a, 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 any of that stuff. And, and as Michael and I were talking about, and we are talking about California and their plan to phase out gas powered vehicles over the next fifteen years. There's actually a pretty long article in the Wall Street Journal from back in September that looked at just that issue. The headline conveys the challenge for California. It says, California wants cars to run on electricity. It's going to need a much, much bigger grid. So basically, the the problem that California has is they can't right now produce enough electricity to power all the, the homes and the businesses And then you add on the electric cars and everything else in California entirely with just solar cells and with wind farms. I mean, their their electricity grid already runs short of juice in the late afternoons and early evenings. And it's going to be a major sin for Californians to even think about going back to coal-burning power plants. So that really leaves just hydroelectric or nuclear to fill that power gap. But environmental groups... They, they're, they don't want to build. They want to tear down dams, not build dams. And they want to close down nuclear power plants, not build more. So they, they're going to have a real come to, uh, you know, electric Jesus meeting uh, <laughs> because they are going to be running low on, they're already running low on power. How are they going to get enough power to power all these electric cars they're going to have uh, driving around in the next 15 years? And, and here in Colorado, the city of Boulder has this interesting plan with this energy company to test the ability to reduce, what they want to do is reduce, they say, the, the city's building energy costs by by taking power from electric cars. Yeah, I know, right? That, that doesn't sound right because typically electric vehicles, the charger provides energy in one direction, from the grid or a building to the car. In this new project, the city of Boulder and Fermata Energy have installed a charging station that enables two-way electricity from either the building to the car or from the car back to the building. Because the city thinks this technology can provide the city new ways to manage their energy load and reduce energy costs. So this is how it's going to work. Boulder has 21 vehicles, electric vehicles, in their fleet, and they are going to put all of them into this charging system where the cars will charge at night when the building energy demand is low and then discharge the battery power back to the recreation center during the day when the building's demand is higher. They say the goal is to reduce peak demand, which in turn for them can reduce their monthly bill. And I think this is what it has to do with. So years ago, when I was living in a, in a previous home, uh, I, I put solar panels on my house. And here's the sole reason why. XL Energy... And maybe Boulder has XL Energy. XL Energy has this tiered billing system. So in the summertime, you pay a certain amount of uh, money for, I think it's up to 650 kilowatts. And then from there to another tier, there's a certain uh, charge, and then it gets higher, and then the cost is higher, the cost is higher on these different tiers. And so to reduce my power, uh, uh, I guess, consumption from the grid I had these solar power uh, solar panels put on the house and so I wouldn't get into those different tiers that would save me money even though I had to pay for the lease of the solar panels on the on the house it was still lower than what XL Energy was charging me for these uh, for the tiered billing and it really just set me off so that's why I put the solar power the solar panels on my on my house and I have a in- I, I have a, a pretty good feeling. That's what Boulder is doing here. Is they're trying to save money on a tiered billing system and using and basically using the the car uh, their fleet as as a battery farm. And I, and I wonder how this will affect the battery life of the vehicles. And, and what if somebody, let's say, at the end of the day, it's three o'clock, and somebody from the city of Boulder has to jump into one of these electric cars and it only has five miles of charge on it because it's been discharging the battery uh, power back into the building during the day, during the peak charging day. Then what? If they think this is a good idea, then why not leave the car component out of it, set up a shed with a bunch of batteries in it as a backup, connect those to the building, charge them at night, discharge them during the day back to the building. That seems more efficient to me. Than doing that to your your fleet of cars, where it's going to be uh, more uh, costly for you to, uh, I think. But hey, what do I know? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, the, I'm just the traffic guy with an idea and a question. Maybe I should call up the city of Boulder and ask him. All about this. Maybe that'd make a pretty interesting interview, and, and ask them about this. Uh, anyway, if you need some uh, more information about uh, cooler technology, you can get that in the uh, description of this show. The link is there. You can also find the links to contact us, the phone number, and email, and uh, Twitter, and all that other stuff. It's all right there in the description of the show. And if you could please leave a uh, you know a, a, a comment, uh, a rating, a review of some sort. On any of the podcast apps, that'll also would help help the show out. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm Jason Lipper, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.